This is episode number 65 of the only internet marketing podcast that matters. We're the Bearded Marketers. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Bringing the latest and greatest in internet marketing every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast, iTunes, and on Stitcher Radio. This is an action-packed episode. We've got a ton of things to cover. We're going to try to do it in our normal time span, but I don't know. It may run long. I don't know. Speaking of actions, if you're listening to this right now, put it on pause. Head to your Stitcher or iPhone app and leave us a review it'd be greatly appreciated (laughs) or wait till the end because we know it's going to be so great that you'll want to but you should do it i I know you don't want to tell your friends about us because you have a competitive edge by listening to the bearded marketers and and no one else is but let your friends know continue to send in your topic requests we have a couple we're going to cover on this one that were sent in by amazing listeners just like you all right so let's a very reading rainbow feel to it (laughs) listeners like you All right, we're both doing, what are we doing? Moscow Mules. Presbyterian, get on my level. It's another Friday afternoon. I did not know you were doing a Presbyterian. (laughs) It's another Friday afternoon. We're actually watching World Cup soccer right now as we record this episode. Swiss Um, listeners, we're sorry. (laughs) We're sorry as France (laughs) is pulling your pants down. (laughs) Let's get into it. All right, so for this episode, Canadian anti-spam. What are some considerations you need to be mindful of if you email Canadian residents? Designed for conversions. How do we make money from transactional emails in a well-thought-out manner? APIs and automations for smarter marketing. How do we reclaim some of our oh-so-precious time with a little bit of work? And it would be an episode unless we had our Google Corner. So we'll get to that wrapping up the episode. First and foremost, Rob, the man with the email plan. What do we need to know about our fellow Canadian residents and email implications there? Few people I know who run newsletter email lists have been collectively freaking out recently about this Canadian anti-spam law, which is going into effect July 1st, 2014. We've known it was coming for years, apparently. They're I trying didn't to know spoil this. our July 4th celebrations, exactly. obviously. Damn Canadians. <laughs> so anyway, this has some pretty serious repercussions to anyone sending to Canadian residents or anyone uh, inside of Canada who will receive your newsletter blasts or spam or whatever it is. Um, Before I get into this, I just want a couple clarifying things here. Number one, I'm not a lawyer. I may (laughs) sound like one, (laughs) but I am not a lawyer. Two, I'm pulling a lot of this from MailChimp.com. So shout out to them again. I feel like we mentioned them a lot. Definitely after I run through some of the basics of this, please research it yourself. Please verify the facts with whoever is in your internal email uh, sending team and lawyers and whatever. Um, I'm just going to give you some basics of what's going down here. Okay, so also there is a three-year transition period. So a lot of these will actually go into real effect July 1st, 2017. Before they send you to the maple syrup prison camps. Right. So here are, I'll run you down just so you're paying attention. This okay. may this may get some people's attention here. Liability. So under can spam, well, the penalties are pretty steep, I guess. Mm-hmm. It takes it to another level including fines of $1 to $10 million per violation. We ain't playing games here, okay? So if you send out to 100,000 people, there's not enough money in the world (laughs) to pay the fines. (laughs) Also to note here, not just companies liable, individuals, directors, officers, and other agents, including um, contracted out agencies you may be working with to do your email marketing for you, Mm-hmm. So these guys need to be on their game. Everyone can be held liable and sued for <laughs> millions of dollars. So pay attention. 
during this transitional period, you can still be investigated. But the way that I've read everything is that you really need to be on your game starting in 2017. But let's just run through a few things here. What does this cover? Number one, this covers emails, instant messages, text messages, and other social media communications. That's an interesting twist Mm -hmm. on can spam, right? Obviously, that's not included in there. If it is sent to an electronic address, including email addresses, instant message accounts, phone accounts, social media accounts, and if it contains a message encouraging recipients to take part in some type of commercial activity. Okay. It's kind of a broad statement. Right. And I'm quoting these things, including the promotion of products, services, people slash personas, companies, or organizations. So if you fall under any of those categories, you need to pay attention to the rest of this. So exempt messages. There's a ton here. I'm going to point out a few that are maybe relevant. A single message to a recipient without an existing relationship on the basis of a referral. So that is exempt. So you can send one email to someone who you do not have permission to send an email to, as long as it was a referral. Messages sent on behalf of a charity or a political organization. For some reason, these people are always exempt from everything. (laughs) So you just need to create a charity arm of every company. Exactly. Responses to a current customer or someone who has inquired in the last six months and messages that will be open or accessed in a foreign country, which sort of makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. There are a few other things here, so I do want to encourage everyone again to read the full list of articles. Basically, the rundown is this. There are very stringent requirements for what constitutes implied versus express consent, who Mm -hmm. you're allowed to email. You're supposed to be keeping logs of exactly where people signed up for your newsletter lists, IP addresses, timestamps, what kind of messaging you included when people signed up for your list. Hmm. Specifically, something that I've seen mentioned in several locations is that a pre-checked box to sign up for your newsletter, for example, when someone is, I don't know, requesting information about something, that is specifically... Uh, Again, I've seen this mentioned in several places. That does not qualify as consent according to these rules. So you again, you'll be sued for millions. Yes. Those are some of the things. Again, like I don't want to run through everything. I don't want to do a complete rundown. But if you are unaware that there are some serious shit going down in in Canadian spam laws, definitely check them out, especially if you send to a lot of people in Canada. Because the police on horses will come and get you. They will come. The Royal Mounted Canadian, whatever they are. uh, Sounds good. They're coming for you (laughs) and all your millions. That's all I'm going to do right there. I don't want to do too much. What are we doing next? All right. So next, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about some considerations you need to have when you are, we're going to use some buzzwords here, designing for conversion. So what do we mean by that? What was triggering this is, you know, Rob and I obviously run a lot of tests, we work with a lot of clients, and we get asked what is the cheat sheet what can i do that always guarantees wins and we usually tell them go test it for yourself (laughs) no there are some things that i think design principle wise that a lot of people need to take in consideration because i feel like there are some universal applications of design that will help guide you to more conversions that oftentimes people miss out on so i kind of wanted to go over a couple of ones that we find most often I'll start off with the one that I'm most passionate about is stop overcrowding and remove some things. We often find when we come into a company and consult with them, the benefit is we're an outsider and we get to look at website and processes from a fresh point of view. Oftentimes we find wins just by removing things. Not mm-hmm. even, We're not talking about like redesigning anything. We come into companies 
what happens over the life cycle of these businesses is there's a lot of competing parties for website real estate internally. There might be an advertising team. There might be the social team. There might be the lead generation team. And all these internal constituents that are scrambling for real estate, especially if, heaven forbid, there's a strong fold concept internally. I got to be up at the top of the website too, of course, or I'm just dead to people's minds as visitors. You can easily overwhelm people or potentially crowd out your message altogether where I'm navigating the site and I'm picking up on things as I go along, but there's so many things going on that it's really hard for me to digest main reasons why I should shop here, uh, potentially great features that you have, but also you start having to compete with yourself. You end up having to start outdo yourself. It's like, well, I got all this stuff going on to, for, to get people's attention on my website. I got to go above and beyond even all the stuff I'm already doing. So it really turns into a game where it can be really tough for people to understand what your website and message is about. And oftentimes you might find wins by decreasing the amount of elements on your page. Do not be scared of white space. It's my favorite thing when I design oh, yeah. pages. Well, and Tons it's less work. Of white space. <laughs> yeah, that's my primary motivation for that. A couple other things I wanted to run through that people need to pay attention to, particularly out of that set of overwhelming. I think one place where people go overboard is buttons. Everyone has this concept of, I need to have a call to action. I need to have this button to have someone do something on my site. Well, now we might have nine just in the fold area of a site because all these people are trying to do different things. They're trying to call my attention. And as a visitor, I'm having to digest all of this information. You're right. You're calling me to action to look at something and understand what you're trying to have me do and see if that's actually relevant for me or not. So particularly with buttons, watch how many you have on the page because it can really be distracting for your visitors. Some other principles to keep in mind, one that takes a lot of flushing out to see how it's going to work internally in your business is memorability, particularly around either using your logos or a hero image or like a mascot internally. You know, well, I think I think color schemes also apply here. Sure, Sorry absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think going back to a company you were mentioning earlier, MailChimp, their chimpanzee or their monkey is something that's really easy to recognize. If you see that logo somewhere, you know exactly who that is. But it also, again, plants that seed to remember that company. And again, it makes your advertising and design efforts other places sometimes a bit easier because you can rely on those assets. One that I find people still don't use very well is understanding contrast in that one, understanding how colors work together and drawing people's eye, but also directing them down a path is very important. I also feel like a lost art or a concept for many people is understanding the color combinations you use, particularly when you're overlaying text on color and how those two interact with one another. You have to keep in mind that not everyone has very good eyesight. So when you're overlaying white on yellow or some of these really hard to read combinations, you need to keep in mind that one, that can be just difficult to read on face value. Two, you also have to understand that a lot of people have crappy monitors. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And the yeah. rendering of these images oftentimes is not optimal. Like you might be looking at your company provides pretty good equipment or you've invested it in yourself. Not everyone has good equipment or they might be on a mobile device or an, an aging just machine. And those, the rendering of that type of element can be extremely hard to read. So 
really pay attention in understanding how colors work with one another, that contrast. Also, color is another interesting one, and that oftentimes goes into the overwhelming bucket as well. We have a tendency to go overboard on how many colors we use on our site sometimes to pull people's attention to different elements. It can feel like an overwhelming process just to understand what you want me to pay attention to on this page. And then the last one, because this is actually quite interesting, there was a eye study done by Sun Silk Shampoo. And what they did was some eye tracking studies on different design creatives, looking at what sort of influence does model eye direction play and where the user actually focuses their eye on an ad. And it's pretty striking. They did two different creatives where they use the same model. And depending on where their eyes were looking, how the user would pay attention to different parts of the ad creative just based on solely moving the pupils of the model. We'll tweet out a link for people to take a look at it. But those types of things, if you're using images, particularly with models, pay attention to where they're actually looking at in these images because it is going to direct your eyes on where to pay attention to on any sort of graphics that are in the close proximity of those said model images. So pay attention to that. Again, we'll tweet out the link to that study because it is quite interesting. This is kind of a, a well-founded best practice, I would say, that a lot of people still mm -hmm. don't take into mind. They go to iStock Photo or wherever, grab a photo, they slap it up on the site and they call it done because it's potentially better than something that they could churn out themselves. It is these small little tweaks that do make a big difference. So another design point that I'd bring up as well is making sure that you're keeping in mind high resolution monitors as well. So we talked about keeping in mind the crowd that might have doo-doo type of monitor <laughs> devices. But um, there's also this concept now of retina and high pixel density displays mm -hmm. as well, particularly with Apple and some of the Android devices coming out. Depending on your CSS and whatnot, really leverage those machines and rendering devices. What you have to keep in mind is what you might have designed for your website now looks pretty terrible for those devices. Understanding the concept of high resolution images can mean a lot for your brand. On the other side of the coin that you need to keep in mind is how do we still optimize that to ensure that our websites are also still rendering quickly and that people aren't downloading four megabyte images on our website. Those are some design tips from Rob and I, but feel free to email us some of your own that you found in your testing or talking with some of your customers or shoot us out a tweet. Uh, we'd love to talk more about that because design is something that is close to Rob and I's heart. All right, so next, making money from transactional emails. What is the what, what about that, Rob? <laughs> so this is an article from Unbounce. Basically, it's four ways to turn, this is the title of their post, four ways to turn boring transactional emails into cash. And I wanted to mention this because I feel like this is an opportunity that so many marketers miss out on taking advantage of their transactional emails. An example of that being like a receipt. So I buy something, you, you shoot me out a receipt immediately. That's a transactional type email. Here's four different ways you can maybe capitalize on those. Number one is recommending related products and or features depending on whatever it is that you're selling. So if I buy something, uh, don't just shoot me out a here's a receipt for whatever you, the hell it was that you just bought maybe recommend some things that go along with it. You know, I think mm -hmm. we've talked about this in one of the recent podcasts, doing this inside of a shopping cart. I think we maybe mentioned Amazon did it pretty well. Also take advantage of that in an email. I mean, when you send those things out to people, test running some of those related features slash products, whatever it is inside your email. One example they give is from Expedia. So let's say theoretically I book a trip to Orlando, which I would never do. <laughs> you know, if I just 
book a flight maybe there, then obviously Expedia would want to maybe sell me a hotel there too eventually or mm-hmm. um, some other sort of packages or trips that are related to that area. So their receipt email could say, thank you for booking your trip, whatever, whatever. Here's your receipt. Also, maybe think about booking a rental car or a hotel. So that's mm-hmm. an easy example of a way to sort of capitalize on that type of transactional email. Another one is what they are referring to as linking deep and linking smart. Wanky wanky. <laughs> I was um, about to say. <laughs> in this specific example, they have one from Amazon again, which we talk about all the time. Amazon and Mailchimp. It's like we, every episode we have to mention them. But this one is a so you purchase something. Please leave us a review. It's a sort of a follow up email that you would leave. And their sort of point is linking deeply inside your website. So don't just link off to a category page or maybe even a specific product page. If you want someone to take an action, for example, leave a review, point them immediately to that review part. So in this specific example, start by rating it is the sort of headline on this. Mm-hmm. And there's five different stars. If you click the five star one, it actually takes you to the page and pre-fills out that you've clicked the five star. Oh, yeah whatever it is. So Mm -hmm. linking deeply, linking smartly, if you want people to take specific actions, make it as easy as possible for those people. I know we've talked about this in previous episodes where we've talked about marketing promotional emails that go out to you and you you click on them, you don't end up on the page you thought you were going to end up on. Especially if it's accompanied by creative, where you're sent to a page and it's like, I want that shirt, where is it? I think to your point though, in that Amazon's example i think a lot of marketers feel hamstrung by their it departments whereas things like that don't seem easy to execute and if we don't have a bought-in it team or one that we have a good working relationship you know maybe they don't want to do the work or it's a low priority but it's a small little things to the user experience like you were talking about that that make a big difference you have to establish a good relationship with your it team to potentially execute some of these things but Again, it's those small little changes that mean you netting the big gains in the Mm -hmm. future. All right. Number three on this list is encourage sharing and referrals. I think this is one that I think more companies are taking advantage of. One of the tactics that a lot of them use, I'm not a big fan of. I'm not a fan of the types where it's like get a free next month by referring friends, get $10 free credit, that type of stuff. I don't know why, but it doesn't feel right to me. It feels very Um, scammy. Right. Uh, but a couple of the other examples they have. So for one, and I'm not, again, I'm not sure quite sure this would work on me, but save a tree, do something. Maybe pointing it towards, I know bodybuilding.com is another company we talk about sometimes, but they allow you to donate to charities by right. doing certain actions, things like that. So Amazon even does that too. Yeah, take advantage of those transactional emails to get the virality mm-hmm. kicked up on your company. I mean, someone's already bought from you, they're already a fan, get them to share it with their friends, sure. be it tweeting, emailing, whatever, referring people try to take advantage of that the last one i'm going to talk about on here is making customers feel good so this isn't necessarily going to foster direct actions from your customers but it is going to make them feel better about the transaction they just had with you don't just send them an email that says dear customer here's a receipt for your payment of whatever to (laughs) us on this date right Mm -hmm. try to make it seem more friendly oftentimes you know the marketing department completely forgets about even messing with these emails so they don't care but try to put in some loving copy in there. Sure. One kind of neat example that I saw in here that they included was an email from Uber where someone had paid for a taxi. I don't you know, some of the listeners may not be aware of what Uber is. You pay for taxis, whatever, whatever. They send an email out. This customer's particular total had come to $25.96. And Uber included a line item that said rounding down. And they took off 96 cents on it and nice. just rounded it to $25. 
just a minor thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you even inflate your price a little bit so you can round down. That's such a cool little thing. I, I actually don't think that Uber emphasizes it enough. Pretty cool little smart thing. They probably could have put more emphasis on it, but it's that kind of small stuff. It makes you feel good about buying from them. Now that I've seen that, I already use Uber, but I want to use them more. And it, it wasn't even for me. A different example as well is I enjoy car detailing. And recently I bought some car polish. And I think a great execution of this type of strategy that we were talking about, when you are buying a product where maybe a process is involved, is go ahead and sending out maybe links to content to get people familiar with what is it that you need to do to prepare for this process. So in this case, what are some washing techniques to get your car ready for polish? And how do you also preserve that? And having a content strategy for maybe popular products that people buy, because now it's not just a transactional email, you kind of started this relationship as well. And as you were talking about, it makes me feel better as a purchase. I didn't go and buy from a merchant. I bought from someone that obviously cares not just about their products, but me using them well. And it also maybe selfishly ensures that potentially I'm going to be using your products to the best that they are intended for, leading to higher reviews, things like that. So these small little strategies, yes, they take a lot of work. They they will probably take extensive work with your IT team to execute. But again, it's these small little things that will change the game for your company. I think that's an awesome example. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I think for obviously for some merchants, it could be easier to pull off. Sure. But basically setting people up for here's how you're you're going to be able to use your product. You know, thanks for your purchase. Setting people up to get excited for well, when that delivery comes. Well, and you might not even have and, to do that work. So yeah. if you're selling products, why don't you put that on the onus on those companies and, mm-hmm. and establish that partnership? So, yes, you need to put those hooks in place. But maybe you don't even need to be responsible for generating that content yourself. You can work with the manufacturers or whoever to help you actually generate that content. Or maybe they even have it readily available. So mm-hmm. got to think about these things. No, you can't think about anything (laughs) that you do in marketing. Let's move on. I just wanted to talk briefly about this. Using APIs and automation to make your marketing smarter. That sounds scary. (laughs) I know we've been working together with one of our clients to sort of smarten up some of their marketing. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that is a... Makes sense. You heard it here phrase. first. <laughs> there are services out there, specifically Zapier. I don't. I'm sure if that's how you say it. Z a p i e r dot com. Check them out. It's it's an easy way to connect up all of the different marketing platforms you could potentially be using. So let's say, as an example, we have a Mailchimp signup form on our website. Someone signs up, but we also want to dump them into our Salesforce database at the same time. I mean. Normally, that is not very easy to do. I mean, you got to get some developers involved, whatever, maybe. Or you're like manually downloading and importing. Right, exactly. Zapier lets you automatically do that, automagically Mm -hmm. do that, we'll say. So you can connect up both of your accounts. And as someone fills out your MailChimp stuff, it dumps them straight into Salesforce. And that's just a very simple example of what's possible with something like that. But basically, an API relaying type service. What's nice about Zapier, sorry to interrupt you, is they have quite a bit of templates out there as well. Mm -hmm. So that sounds scary, as I was jokingly saying at the beginning. But they have some really nice tutorials to walk you through. And as you were mentioning, that's just one service out there. But again, I think we've said almost on every podcast, us as marketers, there's tons of things pulling for our time. And so we have to be smart about where we're spending our time 
and understanding that that has a cost. So I think that this topic is extremely relevant to a lot of different people and yeah. need to check out some of these technologies and how they can save them time. Yeah, exactly. So in that MailChimp Salesforce example, I'm not actually sure if that is a real one on their website, but I'm sure it actually probably is. And it's pre-made. I mean, all you have to do is click on that one. It's very easy to use website. You log into your MailChimp account, authorize the app, blah, 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 authorize Salesforce, do a test lead, and you're, you're set up and running. I think even their free account could work for a lot of people out there. That's just one small example of ways to use APIs to smarten up your marketing, make actions, make things that you maybe do on a weekly or daily basis, automate those things, even things that maybe you're avoiding because you don't have the time or whatever it is. Automate some of these connections between the different platforms you're using and make your your marketing a lot smarter. Smarter, I think we've been emphasizing the easiness of yeah. it, but I think a lot of people need to realize in this automation, a huge benefit that you gain is error elimination. When you're copying all these things and juggling all files and maybe I have 20 Excel sheets where I'm doing X where I could potentially automate that, you're just creating a fragile system that is more prone to just human error. Not mm -hmm. necessarily because you're dumb or anything, but it's very easy to miss something like that. Whereas if you're using a service that is built for two systems to talk with one another in an automated fashion that is templated out, you're just eliminating that potential where you just miss copy and paste somewhere or whatever it might be, or maybe your cell formula didn't update. So not only do you gain time in of yourself, you gain the error reduction, but also too, with that time savings, not only do you have more free time to do whatever it is, maybe it's look up beard trimming tips or whatever it might be, but as marketers, you get to sit back and strategize more. I'm not spending all my time in the minutia of downloading all these reports or importing these contexts, looking at your example. But I, I have more time to sit back and think, how can I serve my customers better? Or how can I take my brand to that next level? Focus on these things. How do I optimize my transactional emails? I don't have to run that report that took me five hours to then dump in into my Salesforce database. Zapier is helping me with that. I don't have to worry about that anymore. So how can I recycle that time now to invest in my company? I think you have to really look at the opportunity cost of your time and how some of these services can really help you. That was some amazing insight. Thank you. That's what three moving, drinks get you. <laughs> moving on to Google Corner. We're going to cover this pretty quickly okay. here. What's happening out in Mountain View? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Tell us. Tell us. So the first thing we're going to start out to, shout out to Gabe. He contacted us this week and said, hey, 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 guys with the beards, you forgot something that happened last <laughs> week. And wow, we did forget it on the podcast, which he is correct. We did miss something on the Google front last week. So if you run a local business... Listen closely. Google has rolled out a new feature, a new, I would say, marketplace or tool, I would guess you could say, yeah. for managing your Google Plus local listings. Your Google and, everything right. for your small business. It's basically removed the, I have to juggle all these 20 different things to mm -hmm. run my placement pages and keep them up to date and things like that. So check that out. It is google.com slash business is the new marketplace that you can use. It can save you a lot of time. I will say, we actually don't do this very often. Moz actually has a tool that kind of goes to the next level and not only managing maybe your Google place, but it gives you a better handle on all the local listings that you have and making sure that all your information stays accurate, what's happening on those listings. So you might want to give that a view as well. If this is something that is of interest to you, running your local directories, which if you have a local business, you should be because everyone uses the internet. So why wouldn't you? But Moz does have a pretty interesting tool in managing local connections. That's going to do it for us on 
this episode number 65. Thank you so much for your time. We so appreciate it. Loved our time today. If you enjoyed yourself, share with a friend, a colleague, as Rob likes to say, a lover perhaps. (laughs) As you also enjoyed yourself, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, I didn't forget. Leave a rating. It would be much appreciated on either iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found our podcast. Also, if you want to follow Gabe's footsteps, Feel free to reach out to us at thebeardmarketers.com or give us a call at 904-270-9603. If there's something that we forgot on this podcast that you'd like us to talk about, or maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe the boss is yelling at you. You just don't know where to turn. You want to ask what these crazy bearded guys would say about it. We love to hear from our listeners and like Engage example, we usually make it onto the next show. So we'd love to hear from you. That's going to do it for us. Thank you again so much for your time. This is Robin Corey signing off and we'll see you next week. Thank you.